Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Been on a bit of a college tennis binge as of late. I miss it nearly and dearly. It's May. That's NCAA tennis season right now. I would be preparing probably to head on over to Bedlam for the NCAA tournament at Oklahoma State. For obvious reasons, that's not going to be the case this season. But that doesn't mean we want to stop having conversations with interesting personalities from the college tennis world. And boy, do we have a treat for you listeners today. And look, I think I have done something like over 600 Cracked Rackets podcasts by now. I get a head shake from super producer Daniel Westoff. The number's probably a little bit north of there. And we've had so many great conversations, so many interesting guests, so many fantastic fantastic stories shared from across the tennis world. But I will say this, I have never done an interview like the one you guys are about to hear with rising University of Virginia, I believe senior now, Gianni Ross. And the reason I say that is because Look, I think all of you guys know I have a bit of an ego here at Cracked Rack, or not an ego here at Cracked Rack, it's just an ego in general in my life, and I'm a pretty confident guy, and I like to think my brain moves at a pretty quick pace, but I don't think I can keep up with Gianni Ross. The guy just goes from thought to thought to thought, and everything he says is interesting, and I want to follow up on every topic he starts to hit on. Because it's clear Gianni Ross is a thinker. Gianni Ross is someone who likes to sit back, take a look at his environment, and try and understand why everything that's going on around him is. And it leads to just a fascinating dynamic. It's an incredible interview. And look, Gianni's obviously an immensely accomplished tennis player as well, former Easter Bowl champion, one of the top recruits from across the nation, a guy who went down to USTA to train full-time when he was young. And he ended up at the University of Virginia. He talked about talks about why that decision means so much to him. He talks about, you know, his life off of the court as much as we do about his life on the court. It's just, I mean, I I can't even give you justice of what you guys are about to hear. I just can assure you that if you enjoy it even a tenth of as much as I did, that this might be your favorite Cracked Rackets podcast yet. So let's get right to that interview. But before we can, I have to let you know, these podcasts are made possible by our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. I'm from the Midwest. Gianni Ross is from the Midwest. That's two elite tennis talents that can probably thank some of their development to Midwest Sports. And look, Midwest Sports offers a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouses. I want to just say this in the copy I'm reading, it has the number tens as opposed to T-E-N-S, and I like it a lot. So shout out to you, Midwest Sports. It does make it a little bit easier. I'm just like, oh, tens, of course, I'm a millennial. I grew up in that sort of generation. Anyways, look, that sort of, you know, 
uh, I should say, uh, writing something out for their client, uh, tailoring something, I should say, for the people they're trying to help. It's clear that they, like they did in that script, they also do that on their store, and it's clear they value innovation and personally tailored products to highlight your skills on the court. Their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect tennis racket, tennis shoe, or tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of tennis equipment are consistent Consistently first to market, and they pride themselves on stock, stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. How can you get involved? You can go to their Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube to learn more about their latest sales and discounts, or you can just go right to their website, MidwestSports.com. You find gear you like, and you will because they really do carry everything. And you're going to want to use our promo code CR15, so you get 15% off your order. You can let them know who sent you there. Uh, again, that promo code is CR15 on all orders over $75, you will get free two-day shipping as well. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, get 15% off all of your orders. With that being said, you're not going to want to take 15% off. This is not an interview you're going to want to listen to at 1.5 speed. You all are in for a treat. So with that being said, enjoy my conversation with the University of Virginia's Gianni Ross right after this. Joining us now on the Cracked Interviews podcast, you may know him from his time as a Virginia Cavalier. You may also remember his run to the 2016 Easter Bowl singles title. It is our pleasure today to be joined by Gianni Mac Ross. Gianni, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Alex. <laughs> I have to say the most enjoyable for me, uh, the part of doing the background research for this interview, I had no idea you were Johnny Mac. And for just credit to your father, because I think it was his idea, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, I don't know if you have the whole thing, but Johnny Mac was the start. He is, his favorite tennis player was John McEnroe. And he also was a, a big fan of Gianni Versace. So... <laughs> I, so the whole, I'm going to do the whole story. Why not? Um, Please do. So the whole idea was he took John McEnroe's nickname, Johnny Mac, and he gave me the middle name, Mac, to add that part in. And his favorite designer was Gianni Versace. So the full name, Gianni Mac Ross, is is who I am. And, and unfortunately, I don't have volleys or good taste. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's 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 funny. I was gonna say when he gets mad at you because when my dad gets mad, it's Alexander Scott. Is it for you? Is it like Johnny Mac? And you're like, because I like, how can you get mad saying that? He's got he, he does it pretty well. He says my name pretty good. It's, it's he's got a defined New York accent, so it comes off like like he's he's a mafia boss. But uh, <laughs> but the, the actually the tough one is my mom. She calls me Johnny, like not even close. So. <laughs> No, that's a win-win for sure. Uh, No doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I I know you have an older brother, Alex, who I feel like as a fellow Alex, he actually got the short end of the stick in this naming process. No, he was named after um, Alex Omedo. Alex Omedo was a tennis player. Very old, very good, to my dad, very good. If you look him up, I I don't know how to spell the the middle name because I always think it's it's similar to tomato without the T, but it's definitely (laughs) not that. It's like Omedo. I'm not that well versed in in my historical tennis, but I'm pretty sure you probably know something. Well, no, here's what I'm saying. If you have to explain the Alex Omedo to someone, then it's not as simple as Johnny Mac, where anyone would be like, oh, yeah, I know Johnny Mac. That makes a bunch of sense. Here's another one. 
mm-hmm. my first ever dog was named Poncho. <laughs> and then we had then we had Ash. <laughs> then we had Buddy after Buddy Collins. Of course. And then right now we have Rafa. So <laughs> Yeah, so you stayed tennis-themed. You know, it's, it's pretty shocking. My dad didn't play a lick of tennis. <laughs> lick. Can't play a lick. My mom doesn't even know who the top three tennis players are. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I, at least it's more subtle than, like, Bjorn or just straight-up naming your son tennis, which is obviously something we both know has happened. Uh, so, you know, again, I feel like you are a winner on this side of this, and you, you kind of got into it, so let's start there. Your dad was an avid fan of tennis, but how did you get started playing the sport? You know, it's, it's, it's tough to remember, but I know for a fact I wasn't really like full tilt till like 12, maybe 11, 12. And I remember not entirely liking it when I was younger, like not like disliking it, but not being like, oh, let's go play tennis like for fun. Remember liking video games. I did have a tennis court in my backyard that I never used. Shocking. Um, (laughs) But I wish I used it more now. Like everyone, they regret something. That's probably like my medium regret, partly because it's a I had a wall there. And now I'm like, if you're in quarantine and if you had a, a good wall on a tennis court, it would probably be the best time to be using it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no, now would be the time to shine. No question. I mean, yeah, you've seen the hundred yeah, volley so, challenges and everything, right? So yeah, that would be great. So following that, like around 12, I decided to play tennis as my sport, partly because I was doing the best. And the only other sport I played was baseball. And to be honest, I didn't really enjoy it that much. I enjoy it more now watching it probably would have played it if i thought about it more but i i preferred tennis i even i love tennis man i don't know if like there's many good tennis players or people who are good d1 athletes that still like have a full love relationship with their sport it's more love hate but i, I think i'm full love toward this guy so i, I got pretty lucky so yeah no that that's awesome to hear and i know as i mentioned you have an older brother alex who played i believe at vanderbilt and yeah. for you growing up having someone because i think it's what a three year age difference something like that 20 months uh, exactly 20 months exactly perfect so for you a little under two years uh that's some quick math for you that's the michigan difference um but you know for uh you to have someone who was so readily available to hit with and have someone who was also playing the sport how helpful was that to your early development so to be completely honest the best part about having an older brother was having older friends who play tennis because no no, i'm serious this is like the the impact they all had on me because me and my brother's relationship on court was way worse than off court and it was just because you had like a little rivalry a little competitiveness you had a little bit of like i guess dissonance whatever the whole the whole thing together but what it came with is i always say with older people and if, if i was the older brother it probably happened the same thing to my younger brother and in result i guess i guess i got the the better end of the I don't know, I guess the better end of the end of the whole thing. That's re- it was really what it came down to. I mean, he's a great guy. My brother's a super smart guy. He's working at IBM out in Cali right now. He got a great degree from Vanderbilt. He matured at Conning College. It's just like, as a younger age, I was definitely given uh, a better chance, better opportunity. 
No, I, I laughed because I am also a younger brother, and my older brother is a little under three years older, but it was two grade difference. And, you know, for me to have him to grow up hitting with, to get to train against his friends as well, not only did it mean the world to me, but it made me enjoy the sport that much more. Now, you talk about the intense rivalry. Of course, there's sibling rivalry in everything. I remember the exact moment I beat my brother the first time, and after that moment, I never lost to him again. Was there a moment like that for you? Because, you know, Alex is really good, but you're obviously pretty good as well where you first started beating him and then from then it didn't let up um so unluckily he was probably the best practice player and this is not just me (laughs) (laughs) unluckily like unfortunately he he was so freaking good in practice like it was nuts like i remember our group uh i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you when it started changing but uh our group was tom fawcett vincent lynn me (laughs) uh martin joyce there's a few guys in chicago that we all hit with like we, we just missed the hill six like I, I think fawcett was with them right before he came to us and i don't think he lost a freaking set <laughs> i swear when we did set like i don't think he lost a freaking set probably because he was a little bit bigger built very good strokes it's just like the motivation wasn't completely there for tennis he loved academics he loved being a, like a like a more uh friendly open outgoing guy rather than usually a good tennis player tends to be a a little bit more tennis driven and has a little quirks, but uh, eventually, eventually we would play and we played in tournaments and it was, I, I won a few of them and I don't remember a specific one, but I remember winning a few of them and feeling really sad while I won, but also like, you know, like deep down, like somewhere deep down, you're like, <laughs> yes, yes. But, <laughs> but so the whole, yeah. So yeah, there were some, I don't have a specific time. I know we got in a ton of fights because I was winning and I, I got in a ton of fights because he was winning, but it was, it was never one-sided or there was never one specific moment, but yeah, no, that's fair. For me, my older brother has just sort of laid down. He's like, look, I've trailed the path. You wouldn't have even been playing tennis if I didn't play it first. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like I get it completely. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, But, you know, for uh, you, you talk about that Chicago group. And again, I'm from Michigan. So as a Midwest guy, those are all names that resonate to me. Guys like Vince Lynn and Tom Fawcett and the Hiltzik, as you mentioned, there's so many and so many of you guys go on to or have gone on to have success at the college tennis ranks. And for you growing up, you know, first in that environment in the Chicago tennis scene, you know, how good is Chicago tennis? I feel like it's an underrated hub of tennis in america you know every every city is an underrated hub i think this is fair to say <laughs> like I, I i mean especially if you're if you're coming from the city you're gonna even you're gonna make it even more underrated than it is but in my opinion i think like the the shining stars of of chicago tends to be like we we are a, we're we're well populated and that makes it unfair we have more chance like i think just by just by like just by looking at it from like some statistics probably somewhere out there just show that if there's more people there's a better chance more good people are going to come out of it wouldn't entirely say yes to that but you also have like a few good rivalries and schools like we have some high schools that are i i bet you this is everywhere i don't know it well enough but i know for a fact like lt and hinsdale like those were two massive schools that i grew up around i didn't go to high school i went for one year sophomore year but it wasn't really much but hinsdale central Lyons township there were always players coming out of there and then you had random areas like i think the hill six went to this place called Trier. And they made tennis big there. I wonder if I think Fawcett was there. And it was weird. Like, you never really had like one place that dominated, but you had multiple places. And I think that's a fair thing to say that that is, 
you can uh, you can call you can call Chicago a tennis hub. You can call anything a tennis. I mean, you can say Cali or Florida because the outdoor weather, but it's tough. I don't know. It's, but you, have, I don't, you have, so I guess my I was gonna say my counterpoint would be West Bloomfield, Michigan, properly rated as a tennis hub. I don't. Th- I think we've we're, we're adequately addressed. <laughs> well, who came out of Bloomfield? Well, actually, you know, some decent people. You know, Jack Murray, pretty solid. Jack Murray's uh, good. Jack Murray's very yeah. good. Fliegner, solid. Fliegner's very uh, good. <laughs> yeah, no, but, uh, in ter- you know, that's southeast Michigan as a whole, right, in terms of a city. And you're right, to your point, uh, the density. And, you know, a guy like Robert Steinman went to Nutrier as well. He goes on to Stanford. Uh, there are Steinman. so many. Yeah, yeah there are so many examples. So, as you know, but that I'm aware of the Chicago tennis scene, A, may speak to me being a nerd, but B, it speaks to, you know, how good, how many great players come out of that area. And, you know, uh, and sorry to cut you off, but it's also in indoors right for the majority of the winter if you're in chicago you have to play indoors and i'm curious if at a certain point in your junior development i know you moved to florida but was that just an obstacle you had to overcome you just needed more outdoor tennis reps you know it's it's tough to say i have this debate all the time like what is the real difference between growing up on different services and indoors and outdoors and in my opinion, it's it's really important at a young age. Like I think anyone can say this is just is to be a well-rounded athlete, and it takes a lot more than just indoors to do anything. But it, that doesn't mean you can't say someone from just an indoor base, realistically, indoor foundation, can't make it to the top. Because what ends up happening is you you learn to compete at a young age, and your game develops to where you grow up. That's just how it's just going to how it works. And then you also game develops to who you want to play as. So what? So you have a bunch of obstacles already to, to handle, and handling that in any situation will will make you different from everyone else where you live. So what what you start to see now is like what wins and what's winning on the pro tour, and you see less serve and volley, and you see more people staying back, but that that opens up more more room to serve and volley, but no one's going to do that, right? So you have a bunch of kids across the country using what they have and playing very similar, and their games, I think, in my opinion just differentiate by where they grow up. I wouldn't say it makes a huge difference, but it does help to get a little bit of everything. I think that's like the most generic answer you can give to such a question, but I think it's a fair one too. No, counterpoint, that was way more depth than I'm used to. So yeah, I think that's completely fair. You you analyze the environment, you analyze the outcomes. Uh, I thought that was a well thought out answer, uh, but no, well, you, you know, for- You and I, you cannot say right now, you have not been, I've had lengthy conversations with with very very tennis tennis tennessee people who just t- talked about it and you always come to some 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 common ground which is like it's there's no way to pinpoint whether or not like come on there's been good players coming from everywhere yeah 100% it also has a lot to do with coaching as well and that you know, is very who, true that is really yeah. true you you can't you can't deny a good coach yeah, and for you, you obviously had good coaching in Chicago as you went on to win the Easter Bowl, I think, while you were still living there full-time. But pretty quickly after that, uh, you moved on to Florida. Uh, I guess let's start with that Easter Bowl part. I was listening to an interview doing background for this, and I heard you say, you know, it was the most important win and also the least important of your career. Uh, I know the context behind that. but <laughs> for, yeah, that? for Someone clipped that. Where did I say that? I think it was on uh, – it was, what, the Tennis Now thing? I think I have the video. I, I don't remember. It might have been the Tennis Channel one, but you were talking about how it's it's only important if I go on to win, and then it's Gianni Ross, Easter Bowl champion, whatever the context for it was. But, you know, for you, what did a win like that do early for your confidence? Uh, early, right away? Um, tons. 
Two yeah. weeks later, two weeks later, I'll give you this right now. Two weeks later, I lost third round, second round to – he played at USC, lefty tall. I can't remember. He's a good player. I lost 7-6 in the third, and everything kind of went away again. Like, you're back, you're humbled. So <laughs> what does it do? I mean, a lot for in the moment, but what does it do long run? You you can look back and be like, yeah, I was a good player, but how much are you going to look back on a win? Like, not that much. You look back, I mean, it's a t- it's a t- I mean, that's a good question because people win tournaments all the time, and they're like, yeah, I won this tournament. But, I mean, no one's going to care. I mean, <laughs> I don't really care that much anymore. Not in a bad way, but like in a in a growth mindset. Like I shouldn't care is the idea. But confidence, amazing, sick. I felt like I was on top of the world. I think my dad had a had a shot or something. <laughs> like I don't think he drinks anymore, but I know he had one shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's awesome. Then you know, obviously for you, you make the decision to move to Florida, and you know, what was the thought process behind that? What did getting out of your comfort zone, going down to train with the USTA full-time, do for not only your game, but just your you know your game in terms of your results, but your relationship so, with the sport? So to be completely honest, I can't remember. I, I don't want to be wrong. I do remember okay. being with Sylvain Gouchard either before, before that tournament, but I can't remember if I was full-time right before that tournament. So it's tough, it's tough for me to say. I mean, I should, I should remember. It's been... It's been enough days, and I'm not old, man. But uh, so let's see. <laughs> I remember, I remember a couple weeks before. You know, I was with I was with USK mostly full time at that. So I, I don't know if, if if that's my fault. But I remember a couple weeks before that, I was playing in the grade A and grade one in Brazil, and I remember losing first round qualies in a grade one, traveling with USK, which is pretty much known to not lose first round qualies, or else uh, why are you with USK? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but so I remember that, and I remember thinking like what like. I remember not even getting mad after the match. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good. I'm a pretty. I'm pretty good with perspective, I think. And I remember not getting mad after the match, but I remember looking back and thinking, "What am I doing wrong? Why am I losing first round? What's happening?" So I remember putting in a lot of effort for the next two weeks with Sylvan. At that point, I remember just getting up early, running miles, doing like some ridiculous things that I'd never do now or I'd never recommend. But I think for those two weeks, I think it improved my game a lot. It improved my mindset a lot more. And then when I went and played Carson before Easter Bowl, eh, it's tough to say. I remember losing to Blumberg in a tight match and then seeing Sam just absolutely smack Blumberg the next day. And then, then and Blumberg's a good player. Like, he's a really, really good player. Well-rounded. Can, he could definitely be a top 100 player. And then even at that time, like, you would know that. And he's an unbelievable college player. So, like, seeing my friend who I practice with, who we go back and forth all the time, just give him the smackdown that one week. Kind of opened my – I mean, it was – a one day next next week win the tournament like can't really say much like i i i played freaking good and then and it was one week but then you go and from there and where do you move where do you go do you go up do you go down was it just one week and you have a lot of insight but at the time with usta and my mindset i was on top of the world and i was was not looking down and that's an issue like you have to look down you have to see how you got there because it's more important how you got there than what you got and that's where I kind of went astray for a long time in juniors that I didn't get. But I don't think it's a it's a it's a aspect of coaching. I don't think it's aspect of anything. It's just how you were raised, and it's really really tough to get a 16, 17, 17 year old kid to to introspect at a at a at a very very high level. And I don't even think I'm there yet. So moving to Florida, back to the original question that I need to answer. <laughs> moving to Florida, how much did it change? Well, it gave me a good routine. It gave me, it gave me a good coach. It gave me a good base. But did it 
provide me what I needed to to get to the next level? Who knows? That's honestly on the player more than the coach. That's a really difficult thing to, to grasp as a 17-year-old. Well, a couple of follow-ups to that. A, you have a career in this business whenever you're done playing tennis. Just know that. I can tell already. You've got the personality. You've got the you know the, that, you the know, ability to go know, on it's, tangents it's is one we it's, share. It's crazy. Everyone says I have the personality. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you do. It's just, it's very engaging. It's, you know, you'll you'll answer the question in depth and you won't hold back. Very candid. It's it's much appreciated. And you get to a perspective that I think is so fascinating because you, for all of these tennis players and not to stereotype, but for so many, it's, you know, you're, you have to go homeschooled and you have to dedicate yourself uh, to Uh, playing tennis. That's a bunch of horse, horse, (laughs) bleep me out. That's a bunch of HS. It is. All right, give me, give me the case. So how much, how much are you really becoming a tennis player between the ages of 12 and 16? Realistically, how many hours are you going to put in that is going to make a difference in your life versus everything else you do? And if you base your life around four to six hours of a 24, well, realistically, probably 12-hour day because you're not, you're, not, you're not living through the night, but most people like to stay up late. How much are you really developing rather than developing a well-rounded human being? Because what happens is when you turn 16, okay, this is gets, I'm a psychology major. Wow, great. But it doesn't make a difference. And this is, this, this is cool. uh, But you get to a point in your life and no matter who you are, where you really don't know who you are. It's a very, it's a phenomenon that everyone goes through and you reach it and you go, okay, what am I supposed to do with my life? And if your whole life is based around tennis, you're going to live and die by the sword. And that's not a, that's not a, that's not a single person will say that's going to be a successful way to continue your career. And when you get and you see and you see Federer, you see Nadal, you see Novak, you see all these people when they work on the mental, which is really cool and then all that great. But you see these guys and you think, oh, they've got this wonderful forehead and you got these wonderful back and you see this and you're like, what about Medvedev? Guy looks like he's a <laughs> guy looks like he's a four old player at a club, but he's winning tournaments. So like you have a bunch of these tennis tennis geeks that aren't really tennis geeks they're just super well-rounded people who happen to have an extremely strong foundation so you can do that homeschool you can do that in school you can do that anywhere it's just real really how you develop as a human so that you can take on really tough challenges over time because like i said one week isn't going to make a difference like it really isn't like no one's looking i mean that's that's like the the Murray Stan Wawrinka debate, who, debate. Who's better? Most people will say Murray because he's had a longer, good career, but you still have the same Grand Slams. So it's really difficult to say. It's like a, who, who's, who can do better in the long run? It's really, ultimately, the career maker. Well, again, this would be a tangent, but I would say look at the Masters titles. Look at the week spent at number one. Murray, some Wawrinka, none. I suppose that's a, that's a debate for another time. Yeah, but, but no, how, I... do you, how do you get to number one? You don't get to number one playing one good week of the year. Well, yeah, that speaks to the fact that I think in 2016, not only did he win the Olympics, I think he won since he or made the final after that. He won, uh, I think that was the year he won Wimbledon as well. He won all of these different events. And of course, at the year end, he chased the points in Paris. He won there. He won the year end finals. I mean, yeah, it, it was the process to get it there. I completely agree with you. I think... Again, this is an off-base tangent. We'll, we'll save that it's debate for the end. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put, I mean, I, I, was listening, I was listening to your podcast with uh, uh, Anacone, and he mentioned like the difference between the greats like Serena and Federer and Nadal and, Nadal and the rest is like they make news when they lose, not when they win. And you mm-hmm. can – that's like one of the coolest – I think that was Anacone who said that. 
I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember which podcast it was. I watch a few of your things, not all of them. Like I won't watch some of the ones that I don't know, but I'll watch ones that I'm like, this guy could be pretty good. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, look, back- hey, I'll take the plug. B, I don't remember the podcast either, but go on. Yeah, I mean, but that's what you get when you have a good, consistent career is the people look at you differently. And that's what you want. I mean, it, not entirely for the people to look at you differently, but you want a good, consistent career. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. And so you, you talk about the well-roundedness that's required and you talk about the sort of pressures that come with trying to make tennis your entire life. And obviously for you, you know, going down to Florida again, being there full time and uh, just dealing with the pressures. Uh, for people who don't know, what is that experience like? When, can tennis become all-consuming? And, you know, how frustrating does that make being on the court playing all these matches? How does that affect you on a week-by-week basis at, at events? Um, let's see. Personal experience, I burned out a few times, which is a really interesting thing because right now in college, there's no chance I will burn out. There's just no chance. And it's, it's very difficult. It's not very difficult. The distinct difference, the real distinct difference is, is how you, the people around you, honestly, it's the people around you. And it's really difficult to grow as a person with people around you who are also very stressed. And I think credit to Andres Pedroso. I think 100% credit to Andres that uh, you you live your life for your life, which is which is a really really important distinction. As I'm using the word again, great. Um, then then if you live your life for tennis. So imagine how much less pressure you would have on yourself if you decided to eat good because you wanted to stay healthy for your entire life. You've now bumped your, this is a, this is just from like, if I were to do it numbers wise, you've now bumped the stress level from 15 year career to a hundred year life. So like the, what it does is it gives you more time to make mistakes, which is a, which is a really, really good thing for a mind. So like when I go and play tennis, you could, you could, you could generalize this and you could, you could reduce it. You could make it tiny, but you could say, Oh, I'm playing tennis for exercise, which is dumb. But what it does is it takes a lot of the stress off. And it's just the way you look at it. So when I go and play tennis, what, what you do is when you step at USDA, you step at these massive facilities that produce really good tennis players as seen. The worst thing you can do is make it bigger than it is. Because you're getting handed the greatest facility, the greatest coaches, the greatest training partners. All you really have to do is show up every day with a good attitude. The moment you start thinking, I have to win, I have to have the results, I have to hit the shot like this, oh, I'm, I'm not as good as my counterpart, I'm not as – there's a lot to take in. But the only thing you really need to show is do is show up because you're given what you can – you're given everything. So once you're given everything and, and you have the, the people around you, you have to manifest what, the best part of you. And ultimately, that's your strength. Your weakness is when when you start bringing other people down, because when you bring someone else down, what did I say at the beginning? That you'll create bad people around you, and then they'll bring you down. So it's a really tough dynamic if you can't handle it early. And that's I think that was my mistake as a 17, 18 year old, 19 year old living with my parents at USTA. The constant the, the constant effort to to get a win was what was on my mind. And yeah, maybe my coaches weren't telling me that. For sure, my coaches weren't telling me that. But did I feel it? Yeah, I felt it. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. You, hundred <laughs> percent. I would. I, I. I swear to you. 
I swear to you, when I felt on top of the world to win Easter Bowl, there's no one else in the entire world at that one moment winning that last point who felt as good as me. There isn't. Because everything around me was about that win. It's, yeah. it, that, that's where it sums up to is you have a life built around tennis, it's going to eat you. It's going <laughs> to eat you unless you can make it built around your life. It's a yeah, really simple yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I'm curious because you, you talk about that and you're living at USTA campus and you're around a bunch of contemporaries who are your age and who are obviously also trying to do similar things on the tennis court. But, you know, you're, they're also your age. So these are the people you become friends with. These are the people you hang out with when you're outside of the court. How do you manage, as you mentioned, you know, maintaining relationships that aren't just all about the tennis results that actually allow you to continue to, to develop personally? So, like, you're asking, how do I maintain relationships with people that I practice with? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah oh. essentially. So, the, the cool thing is, I have a, a group chat with four of the guys that I, I practice with. Oliver Crawford, Sam Riffis, Patrick Hibson, Trent Bride. And the the it's been a progression. I, I'm not going to downplay any of what I'm going to say. 100% looking back. The culture we developed at USTA at our age was was below par. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we were saying to each other was critique, bad critique at, at best, at best, and worst critique. Worst critique would be like specifically uh, degrading certain people's shots as a joke. But what that did was, for a long period of time, in my personal experience. I couldn't really pl- have good intangibles to intangibles like slices, volleys, and all that stuff. And I didn't know why. But because I worked on it like God knows how long. And what was super interesting was the moment I stepped out of, let's say, like peer pressure is the best way to put it. The moment I stepped out of the peer pressure and came to college, my slice, my volleys, more or less my intangibles, my pickups, all this stuff improved very quickly. And I was really confused. I was like, there's no way. I These drills I'm doing look identical to what I was doing before. And and, and Andres hashed it up. Andres did a really good job. And he said, imagine you were to hit a forehand, right? And before every forehand, you would think, how am I hitting a forehand? Well, that's cool. Like, that's usually what most people do when they're practicing. But imagine there's another add-on to that where it's like, oh, people think I'm hitting a bad forehand. Now how am I hitting a bad forehand? And you keep adding on this layer and layer until you get to where, let's say, someone made a joke about your forehand, and then you can't, and you can't get the joke out of your head. That's like the worst-case scenario. So what you have is you have a bunch of people around you where you make stupid little jokes that don't make any sense, but they come to reality sooner or later. And then that's kind of what I'm developing is why I didn't really have a good slice or volleys in juniors. <laughs> I, I know it's a really stupid way of saying, oh, you could have just worked on it or whatever. But there's a really easy solution to a lot of these problems that most and, and most people don't r- realize. And to me, it's, it's, it's about the people around you more than it's yourself sometimes. And I think the coolest fresh breath of air that we got was I think my relationship and my tennis with all my friends, especially like I think Sam, Kip, Oliver, and Trent were, were – it's been going up. And it's crazy like dis, what distance does. But I think we all realized in our own that to some extent we were hurting each other when we were playing – when we were playing with each other at 17-18. Not because we didn't – not because we were doing it intentionally, but because we didn't really know anything else. And mm-hmm. so no. – and I, I think that's a, from personal experience, and I think people can say that in, in, in much different things. Like, you see that in not just in tennis, but you see it in just growing up as a person. Like, you might develop a personality trait based on some stupid things your friend said about you. 
and that 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 leans into your tennis game a little bit and the the breath of fresh air for me was coming to college because when i came to college i swear to you uh i remember like the first two weeks here i said some i said a stupid joke about someone's shot i'm not going to mention who or whatever and i remember getting pulled aside by henry and i remember him telling me like we don't do that here like we don't talk down on other people's games we call that breakers at virginia and the idea here is you never make you never break other people and you only build and what that does is no one has I, no one has bad no one has bad thoughts really that's the easiest way to say it. it's just like you don't feel self-conscious about hitting a shot that you don't like really and what what happens is you create a dynamic a culture realistically that benefits you and only benefits you and you see that on the tour the best guys have the best teams i don't see Djokovic's team going up to him and saying your 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 second serve kind of sucks no chance I see them going up to him and saying something in the ideas of like, you need to look at the second serve this way. Like there's a huge, there's a huge way you say that and it changes the guy's idea on how to serve rather than breaking him and making him really, really digest something that's not digestible. You give it to him in like pieces so he can actually eat it. And that's the idea of what, what we developed here at Virginia and gosh, four championships in what, seven years. Come on. That's a pretty good record. Since since they've done a huge change, I was gonna say four and five years. But, four and five, uh, but like we're still yeah. going. Four and five is honestly a better way to look at it. Yeah, let's not let's not add the last three. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to exclude you, but that was the peak of the stretch, right? I mean, look, Virginia tennis is near and dear to my heart. I don't know if you know that, but if you've listened to some of the pods, then you might actually uh, uh, you might know that. But you know, for you, you talk about it being. Uh, I think the phrase you used was it was a breath of fresh air for you to get to the Virginia campus, and you know, you come in and the I think the winters are right at the start of the season of 2018, and that's right after uh, Virginia had ripped off three straight NCAA titles, four out of five, and you know, Coach Bolin had moved on but coach Pedroso was back at the helm and for you in that moment you know a why why did you choose to go to Virginia but you know b in general why was college tennis the right pathway for you oh gosh <laughs> you want the real answer or do you want the I'm just kidding so uh no yes I want the real answer yeah I'm gonna give you the real answer because I'll never I'll, I'll never not so what what actually for me was College tennis was never in my sights till roughly two months, more or less, till I committed. And and it all started, like, obviously, because you have the idea of turning pro tennis. So I came – let's just let's just get this out of the way. I had no idea I was going to college till I committed, real, like, honestly. And then when I committed, I gave it a chance. And then when I t- started talking to Andres every day or so, I was like, this guy could be a huge, huge – I mean, like, he's a huge impact in my life. He's probably the biggest impact in my life for the past however long I've been to college, like minus probably Carl, minus probably Henrik and Ash, the three upperclassmen, he's probably the, the top one. And you, you gain a lot. You gain a lot from college, especially if you do not have the ability to be a top pro. And this is very specific because ability is as – I'm just – I'm being as vague as possible because anyone – and I'm serious because anyone can be pro, but you know what it takes. And people know what it takes to be pro. And it's 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 a different beast. It's a different beast, and and you can't pass. You cannot pass in education. You can't. You just you can't pass it up. Uh, and you learn so much in college. And your years between eighteen and twenty one, you grow. You first physically you'll grow. Mentally you'll grow. And 
and what is it? The peak for p- tennis players, what, like 28, 27? Who freaking knows anymore? Uh, and and this is just like, it's a building block. And if you go to college, let's say, if you go to college as a tennis player who wants to turn pro, but you're so pro mindset, you're ruining the college career. So when I had a few talks with Dre, it was basically this. You come to college to live, to do the college tennis. Because if you were to come to college to become a pro, you're basically trying to drive two cars at once. You can't drive two cars at once because you're only going to get half the distance. And so this is what kind of, this is what Dre pitched to me. And it's a great pitch. It was the idea that you're coming to college to grow as a person first, to grow as a person first. That's I'm saying twice, because if you grow as a person first, your tennis is only going to follow. And so when I came here, I had no idea what to expect. I had little to no academic background. I had more or less an entirely an entire personality based around traveling around the world. It's very rare traveling around the world for one week at a time, meeting people that I really don't create relationships with for that one week. And I have like four or five guys that I consider brothers. How many people do this? Roughly zero. So reality check, when I came to college, I had to make sure that I was a good person. And this is why I chose college. Like 100%, this is the reason I chose college, and it, it's crazy to say out loud. It is, but it's it's the reason. I came not for the tennis, and that's what everyone believes. And But what, what's crazy is when you come not for the tennis, you come out a better tennis player. Uh, <laughs> wow. I hope when this gets posted, the whole world's going to be like, this guy's a freaking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, disagree. I, I think it's going to go the other way. They're going to say, oh, my God, like, could I get an hour of this a day? Just inject it into my veins. No, I, uh, I because mean, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You have the yeah, coaches. You have the diehard tennis coaches that, that listen to all the, the rumors about, oh, Maria Sharapova probably practiced eight hours a day. Serena probably never left the tennis court. Federer, you think he, you think he didn't sleep on – like the, the idea was like you, you look at all these players – and you run into the barrier of overplaying and overpracticing, and what you develop is a really, really poor, poor. You you have a poor development, not a bad development, but a poor development versus a good development. Where it's like, if I had a kid, this was this is not my own idea, but if I had a kid and Uncle Tony raised him, the the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the like what I'm like Tony and all, mm-hmm. I would give it. I'll give the kid to him for three years because you know for a fact that he's raising Nadal in, in a good light. He's saying, I want you to live as a, as a respected person first. And, and you mm-hmm. see that as Nadal when he talks in these interviews. He's a very respectful guy. He's, he's, he's mature. And it's, it's from when he was 17 on. He knew. He, it wasn't about the tennis. And you know that too. Like I'm telling you right now, when I was sitting in the U.S. Open, like the lounge, when I was 2016, Nadal was freaking playing a board game before one of his matches drinking a diet coke for four hours straight he played a board game and played a diet coke i watched it the whole time because i was dying and i was sitting there going there's not a single person in the world who knows this not a single person but the guy when he steps on the court he's all business but when he steps off the court he knows that it's going to hurt him if he's all business about tennis off the court too so it's more a, a mentality on the court and off the court you give yourself some time to to walk away from the sport this gives you the incentive to go back on this to back and play. And I, I think like he's a good example. Like even Kyrgios to some extent is a good example. 
Like, I know he doesn't like the sport. I know he, he doesn't prefer playing. But if you were to, to some extent, not play tennis till you were 12, which is what happened to him, your body might be in really good shape to play for four years tough without getting injured once rather than playing from 9 to 12 and not having the drive to play from 12 to 16. Like, mm-hmm. that's a good thing to look at. Like, everyone has their own little thing what made them the, the good tennis player. I, mm-hmm. I think it's it's all in the cards. I think the hardest part is, like, getting around getting around the idea where you, you, you can't overtrain. Like, that's the hardest part for sure. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, and for you going to Virginia, uh, you know, you talk about getting there for the non-tennis, but you also, you know, you said earlier in the pod that you love tennis right now, that your relationship with it, it may, uh, this is, you know, paraphrasing, but probably has never it's, it's been better. It's the honeymoon, better. man. It's the honeymoon yeah. period. It's, it's, so, it's... No, so I'm curious, you know, what's the reason behind that honeymoon phase? Was it, as you mentioned, Andreas? Was it just the culture at Virginia, the senior leaders you've gotten to play with? Why has your relationship with the sport gotten even better? Um, less tennis, less playing, a little bit less playing, not a lot less playing, a little bit less playing. And then knowing that I'm playing a little bit less than I used to, that's gotta be it. Because to some extent, the best analogy I could use, it's like, would you rather read a book that you want to read or read a book that you don't want to read? Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty primitive example, but yeah, maybe the book you want to read, you can only really read it a chapter a day before it gets boring. And so if I put it in your hands and I say read two chapters, are you really going to learn what's in the second chapter if you, you get bored and you can't read it? No. Are you going to want to reread the second chapter? No. Are you going to want to maybe watch a, a, a documentary on the second chapter? No. So to me, it's kind of like reading a book and kind of writing your own book to read. And so when you sit down and you think, Maybe I was reading three chapters at USDA, and I only read it, needed to read a chapter and a half. And then when I came to college and I was given a chapter, because Dre looked at me and said, we're giving you a few more rest days than you're, than you're used to. What it did is it gave me a lot more drive. It gave me a little bit more itch to scratch. It gave me a little bit more like, like that sour taste that I needed to drink some water in my mouth. And so what that did was it made me enjoy weird aspects of the sport rather than just like the, the mainstream aspects like winning and, and, and looking good and hitting a forehand clean. It made me enjoy like, oh, that shank went in? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> we get another chance? Like it made me enjoy that. It also made me really, really enjoy like having hitting partners that, that, can, that can play tennis at any level. Like when I say any level, like I'm okay with going on the court one day instead of practicing and hitting with a professor if that's what it takes. And you know what I learned from that? I, I gain a relationship, and I also learn how to play the ball in a way where the other person can handle it, which is really cool. It, it teaches you about accountability. How much can you? How low can you make your level to have you rally with someone? It's a new aspect of tennis I've never learned because I was never given the opportunity. And so, the greatest thing that I got from college was I was given a little bit less tennis. 
Mm-hmm. And for you, in terms of adjusting uh, just your lifestyle in general, when it's like to go to classes and have <laughs> social pressures, <laughs> you know. Freaking, oh, God. Yeah. How was that for you? I, oh, my God. It was terrible. Okay, let's, let's, <laughs> just, let's just do it in like a, a grade manner. I, completely explicit. I'm not going to pull up my grades, but I know that I didn't get higher than a 2.8 in my first semester. <laughs> Oh gosh, two eight. I mean, there's people out there who get worse grades. I'm like, I, 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 I know it's, I know it's not terrible. I know two eight's not the worst thing, but two eight, honestly, compared like the next semester, I got a three nine, and yeah. th- th- which is really good, which is really freaking good. And I know that's that's like you said earlier, a humble brag, but it's really freaking <laughs> good. And a two eight even really freaking good. But what was the difference maker? I started enjoying school. That's what it was for me. For me, in my opinion. I don't really think anybody dislikes stuff. I just think people like things more. (laughs) And I know it sounds stupid, but what ended up happening for me was in high school or let's say online school, I was never really given the serious opportunity to enjoy learning, the serious opportunity to enjoy learning. And that's partly because maybe online school is not the best decision. So what happened was I came to school not knowing, not really knowing what I was doing, kind of just inching by just trying to get the grades and i ended up with about a two eight but what was cool by the end of it near the end i was writing a paper on world war ii or was it world war ii the vietnam war was it and i st- i learned something i learned one thing i might have learned one thing the whole semester but that one freaking thing was really fun and then i decided let's pick up a book let's read something why not and then i started reading and i liked reading and it's surprising and you know what this is this is like curious not playing tennis till he was 12 because what happened because probably the ages from 12 to 14 i hope he liked the sport because there's like an interview somewhere where he liked the sport and um no that's tomich no it's tomich not curious but this is the same thing i was never really playing school till i got to college think about that think about instead of grinding your butt off in the act sat high school all the way till you step on college like it's gonna be the drive is different the drive is different than never touching foot, never putting your foot in the water. It, it was really cold to me rather than it was like lukewarm to someone else. It's like, it's like nice. I want to jump in. And I started jumping in and that was the difference. I like to learn. And yeah, it might have might have crushed a lot of other areas of my life, like my social life. But I could care less if I was learning something. And I had a huge spurt of growth mentally from this from the summer after my first semester till now. And I've read a lot of books. A lot of weird books, a lot of cool books, mostly nonfiction, but all in what I like. And that's kind of how I've been approaching my school and my lifestyle is I am a person who does better when I like it. Like, I think everyone can say that, but uh, maybe some people like, I mean, there are some personalities that do better when they don't like it because it puts a lot less pressure on them. So I, I don't know, but you, you get to a point in your life where you have to say, maybe if I step back, I'll come back at it at a different angle. No, so. I think that's completely fair. For me, you know, I had a non-tennis related job and I just really enjoyed doing the podcast. The money was there. I figured let's go for it because I enjoy doing it. I like waking up every day having conversations like this one, although I'm not sure I've ever quite had a podcast conversation like this one. And that speaks, that's a credit to you, by the way, Gianni, of how enjoyable this has been. But, you know, you talk about doing the, the little things like, you know, picking up a book or whatever. And I know for you, you know, that freshman year, you're rocking the ponytail, the hair's wilding out. 
you know, you're also uh, you're going from that aspect to you're on the bus reading a dictionary before the match. Uh, you know, <laughs> wait, the, how'd you wait, 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 go back. How'd you get that information? Oh, come on. A good journalist never reveals <laughs> oh, their sources. Come on, but... get out of here. I have the dictionary at home underneath the thing with highlights. So like roughly, I think like the letter G, but I still say people I got through the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> so is that just how, how did that start how did why are you picking up the dictionary who knows man bro who knows <laughs> if you're bored out of your mind and you just want to do something you might pick up a dictionary you might learn a rubik's cube you might play some chess i don't know where you get some things like i think what ended up happening was i was so freaking bad i was so bad at getting a good mark in, in school that i just needed to get an edge and i was like no one's reading the dictionary no one's freaking reading the dictionary. Who's picking up the dictionary and reading, like, even getting past the first page? No one. That, that's what. That's where my mind was at. Yet, I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong. I was so wrong that it, it's made fun of. Tell me right now. You have to tell me where you find it. You, you don't have to hint it, but you got to tell me. Well, I will tell you a team member. Can we leave it at that? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I was gonna say I'll, I'll text you afterwards so that uh, so that I don't people don't hear me throwing someone under the bus on the pod. Uh, but yeah, no, I've heard that, and yeah, that's fascinating to me. You know, even I'm curious for you from the team perspective, just competing on the tennis court. You've talked about how great it was for you, college tennis off the court, but on the court. Oh, on the court's a joke. Come on, man. Come on. You know. Yeah. It's a joke. So it's crazy. Say, it's freaking give it crazy. to me. Huh? Give me the stories. Give me what it's like, the no-ad scoring, competing with a team, what that adjustment's like for you. So it's – it, it, it's first match, obviously, I was a little riled up, too much energy, but it's good. It's good to have energy. I think the number one thing is it's – the number one thing to take about college tennis is it is different. It is a little different, but that little difference makes a huge difference long run. It's like the 50, it's like the 52% in tennis. Like if you make the stride from 52% points one to 53%, percent points when you're like one in the world versus 30 it's like it's like a one percent difference from tennis outside but what you do gain from college tennis is that you learn that your role in any position is just as big as anybody else's role in any position and which is really freaking cool because yeah to some extent you have purpose no matter what you're doing and this is where the competitive aspect gets in because you're like Holy, I'm playing four? Holy crap. I know the other guy playing four is just going to be just going hard because because they know that four is just as good as one. They know that their point is just as good as the other. And what it comes down to is like how willing are you to play your role? How willing are you to compete in your role? How willing are you to just go out there and just dig your teeth in into the court? Like, like dig your teeth in and show it and just fight and die out there is kind of what makes the difference. Like it's not as – that is more impactful in a college tennis court than it is to some extent on the, the pro court because when you dig your teeth in and show it, not only do you, your opponent sees what you're doing, your teammates see it, their coaches see it, the fans see it. It's, it's a really, really cool aspect that you can de- develop. Yeah, there's the team thing between the difference between team and, and individual, which is like everyone's, oh, playing for a team is harder. I'm like, yeah, it is harder. It's definitely harder. I'm one of those people who thinks playing for a team is way harder. So I think that you you are definitely getting thrown into a much more difficult beast because you're not only losing for yourself, but you're losing for your team. It's much – tennis is a very selfish sport. Come on. Like you go out there, you can lose and come off the court and be like, I tanked. It doesn't matter. I tanked to myself. 
but like you can't look yourself in the mirror, but like you can avoid mirrors. If you lose, (laughs) I'm serious. You can avoid mirrors. People avoid Mm -hmm. mirrors all the time. They don't want to look at their faces. They don't want to look at their broken teeth and try to fix their teeth. They're okay with broken teeth sometimes, but you can't look your friend in the face if you tank on a tennis court with broken teeth because they'll see the broken teeth. They'll know you tanked. That's like the huge difference between uh, individual and, and team is that you have to be a lot more selfless. And selfish is very easy. It's a lot easier to get the last piece of pizza than give it to someone else. Oh, another great analogy. That's what I'm saying. Chock full of them. And so, you know, for you guys, that that freshman year in particular, again, to set the scene, that was the year after they had won three straight titles. And you guys, you know, the program had obviously lost so much talent uh, between that that season and the one before. But, you know, that, that was a weird year, I'm sure, for you, for the Virginia program to go 14 and 13. And, you know, you lose Henrik to an injury really early on. I don't think he played a single spring match. What was that season like around Charlottesville? What you know? How do you guys manage to weather the storm of everything going wrong that season? Um, <laughs> uh, I say that lovingly, as a Virginia tennis fan. As 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 a Virginia tennis player, it's it's interesting because I had no really no serious relationship with the previous results, mm-hmm. which is a fair thing to say. But there were people on the team with serious relationship with the previous results. And they had, I mean, I don't have the best, let's say, personal experience with coming from a win to a loss. I think people like, let's say, Henrik, who's had one of the best records of all time playing in college tennis. Let's say Carl, who came in his first year and they won it. Let's say Ash, who didn't get a play, but he got to see it happen and live through it. They probably have a much better uh, answer to that. But I think what it is, is it's just another challenge, man, like, you come to and you can only really do what you've been given. Like you have tools and these are the tools that are given to you. And if let's say you're half your tools. Okay. Th- okay. Five, six of your tools. Were taken away. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out like a, the best way to put it, but it, they, there were six guys on this team that all won futures. And then a year later there was two guys and one guy didn't even play. And so, what you're, it's like the same thing. It's like when you walk on a tennis court and your freaking elbow's hurting. you got to work with what you have for the day. But this is like a, a, an entire season. But I didn't get experience that. I am coming in as the hot shot who's supposed to replace one of them. I'm supposed to be the guy who's like one building the next generation of Virginia tennis. So I had a much better outlook on, on the season. Like I knew, I knew deep down, like, yeah, my team might not win, but I believe in every single person. You're going to have to believe that one. I believed in every single person on my team. And yeah, it didn't take. And what was cool was I, I think it didn't take long for me to find the belief, but I don't know the exact amount of time. I just really, really enjoyed the guys. Like I learned something from everyone. Like I learned something from everyone. Like I'm telling you everyone, like not as a doubt, like a bad thing. Like the guys who don't play our, our, our 12th man, you could say was honestly one of the most impactful people I know. I mean, Ethan, his name's Ethan. Like he, I, I he's played a few matches, but he doesn't play when our whole lineup's there, but he helps more than anyone else. Just like another guy on our team named Spencer, a guy played one time, one time singles last this season currently. And it was probably the most emotional match I've ever watched. Like it was super fun to watch. I was super invested because I know how much the guy puts in when he doesn't play. So what you, what you get from a, a, a bunch of guys who's won, let's say, I mean, those guys are freaking good. Richie, Ty, 
how did they get the lineup, man? You get a bunch of those guys. I would like to see how one of them fared, and the best pe- person to ask would be like Ash, Hendrick, or Carl. And I can tell you right now, they fared pretty well. They knew it was going to be a different, it was going to be a different war, a different battle, and that's the best you can give. That's the best you can want. Yeah, no, I think the way Henrik coped was by rocking the man bun. That was just his only. He's like, I got to oh, do something to get Henrik, me. Yeah, Henrik, if you're out there and you're listening to this, you know the haircut I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He knows which one it is. I think he still roasts himself on it, but he lo- I love the kid. He's super smart. I think that guy's a genius. That guy's a freaking yeah. genius. One of my favorites, uh, certainly, to chat with when I can. And I know something you guys do around the program is you do player evaluations where you have to learn something about the one of your teammates that you didn't know. Did you, you have to present the facts for you. A, what is the funniest player evaluation you've ever gotten to see in person? Player evaluation. <laughs> wow, they've been really changing that. It's, it's usually a roast. <laughs> I think... Oh, gosh, what can I say? Oh, let me think. I'm trying to – because I know there's one on the top of my head, but I don't know if I can throw them under the bus. You, you can't give a name? You don't have to say what was said about no, them. No, 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 because it's, it's, it is so good Henrik threw his chair. It is so good. It, it <laughs> is the single it, – it, it won the roast. Like we have – like there's there's usually, there's there's uh, – let's say there's rankings. Let's say like for best, worst, but they're not like said rankings. You don't vote for it, but we know who did the best like – there's people who had like really good they're really good presenters there's people who have like very good ideas there's people who like really didn't get much information but they created stories and like the the idea is to just get closer with someone else by learning about them and then like kind of adding your twist to it but there was one really freaking good roast and can I get the presenter Ethan Ethan Mcdowski <laughs> there was one roast cuz and this is the best one Ethan was player evaluating Brandon, but it wasn't about Brandon. It was like a story that was so hidden that no one knew about because Brandon didn't tell anyone. And it was it was by far the funniest experience when he said what he said. I think the whole we were at Orlando. We were in one of like the the meeting rooms in at USTA, and we were just there. I, I think we were playing one like UCF or something, and we were doing this whole this whole dynamic and. And what happened was really funny. I think Henrik did throw his chair. I I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for whoever that is. And I the what the player about and and the what the player evaluations do is it just brings you closer as a team because what it, it I mean, what more what more can you want than roasting your best friend? Like how much more can you want? And and you're given like the the all free go ahead and the coaches are there too. Everyone's there. Everyone's watching. I think the only thing I can mention was I remember a couple years ago because this is not in my team. I think it's, this one's been out there. Is that um, Richie had Alex Richard had a modeling career when he was ten, but no one knew about it. And J.C. Aragon had to do a player evaluation of <laughs> of Richie, and he found these modeling pictures of when he was eleven, and it was hilarious to see. But there, there's a, yeah, that little, that little, uh, that little meeting room was probably one of the better memories I've had off court. Cause it's just, it's just, it's just, it's serious banter. Like I would watch three minutes on like the development of Scott Brown's per, like wardrobe and just what he's been wearing over the years. I feel like that could be a really good one. 
I, I think, uh, oh, there has been so many good bro. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say too much about any of them, but they're all like, I have some quality, funny guys on my team. And what's best about it is like, we're given a month or two months advance. And, and it, what it shows, like what our coaches pitch is that this is what shows how close and how willing you are to work with the team is when you give a stupid, silly idea and you blow it out of the water. And you just absolutely come with, like, left and right, just throwing jabs, uppercuts on, like, someone else. And they're just sitting there and just taking it. It's it's quite funny. Oh, gosh, I missed that. I hope we, I hope we do another one next year because we'll get a few more freshmen in. That's- yeah, if you ever need a, a guest performer, I'm just saying, this is right up my alley. Is like, that really? is You're good at oh, the ro- we used to do year-end – I played club tennis, but we used to do year-end roasts for all the team. And I used to – it was always the seniors who did the roast, and I would be one of the ghostwriters until I was a senior. And we'd always do these little poems where we'd work in rhymes and criticisms. And I, I've got at least – you know, I've got a couple more good ones in me. This, this I'm just too excited. Like that is – it sounds so much fun. Yeah, there was a – one of the better things someone did was someone put together like a 20-minute video like because he's a – CS major and he created this really freaking well developed video. It was so funny. <laughs> like he could manipulate the images and, and, and make them look certain ways and then he had punchlines for it. It was so well made. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. And are coaches fair game or is it only the players? Coaches are fair game. Coaches are <laughs> oh gosh, coaches are fair game. <laughs> well that's awesome yeah that is the coolest thing in the world and uh it, it speaks to again the virginia culture and why it's been such a successful program and you know uh, uh to get to your current teammates and uh, i feel like i have to ask anyone who we have on the pot at this time obviously you were in the midst of your third year at the school and your season gets canceled uh, you know halfway through it and i'm curious what that's like for you to experience as someone on the ground not only as in athlete but you know for you to have your junior you know your third year in college uprooted by something like this what you know how have you responded uh what what's these past couple of weeks couple of months been like for you okay to well to preface what i'm about to say is that freaking sports or anything is not as big as what's happening so anything i'm about anything i'm about to say is in light of the idea that it's not as big as what's happening. So just, just as a disclaimer, I like deep down, I know it's the right thing to, to, to stop all anything just because we have lives on, on the line. But first, I mean, it sucks. I mean, you have to say it sucks. I think, I, I think our whole team was coming around to playing our best tennis near that time, partly because we have an incredible trainer who develops programs for the full year to peak around May. Like, I think that's, like, a, a really important thing, and he's an unbelievable trainer. Gosh, physical, like, guy's a beast. But so what, for us, it's like we're still kind of we're, – we're building the whole season just for May. And usually, as Virginia tennis shows in the last whatever years, we, we peak near May. So when that, when that kind of happened, it was kind of like – just like probably everyone said, it, it's, 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 it's not satisfying. You don't feel satisfied no matter what. Like, even, like, it's very difficult to feel satisfied. But – for me, it was kind of a good thing, objectively. I had tendonitis in my shoulder, tendonitis in my knee, tendonitis in my elbow. I was on, I was trying to get over pain <laughs> for a long <laughs> period of time because I was just kind of putting my butt, like, which is crazy, though, because I still got up and I 
wanted to play and I still wanted to work out. I still was not because like, I mean, I was injured. I had to play, but that's not like the point. It wasn't I had to play. I wanted to play. And the coach said, are you ready? And then we went to doctors and doctors and said, yeah, you won't, you won't get any serious injuries. You'll just feel pain. And I was like, I can play through pain. But with the stoppage, I'm give, I've taken like five weeks off now or four weeks off. I haven't, I played a few grass tennis. We go to the, we go to the lawn. Have you, you know about the lawn? I've heard of the lawn. Yeah. So what we do is I've quarantined with one other person in the house in Charlottesville for about, for about two weeks. And then after about two weeks, when we both knew we weren't sick, we decided to go and set up like a mini like court on the lawn, like with nobody around us. And we just played like underhand serve and volley tennis. And it was really fun. And we've, we've done it every once in a while now. But besides that, I don't do much. I, I work out at home. I do just straight rehab. I haven't been cleared to do much working out. But in my experience, it's a blessing. I'm given time off. But for people like Carl, I, 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 was, I was almost in tears because I knew, I knew how much that guy cared about our team. I knew how much he cared about this season. This is his last year. And I, didn't, I, don't, I, didn't, I don't think he, he knew that there was an eligibility grant or whatever, however that works. And I didn't know if he was going to come back. And he didn't know anything. So when it got cut off, like we all knew who was getting hurt the most and it was, it was him. But what that did is, is it, is a domino effect to all of us. Like we all really struggled. We were trying to help Carl through it. Like, I don't think he was externally sad, but I, I think internally you could, you could feel a difference. You could feel a shift in the wind. That, that's I, he, he, as you say, he's living on the lawn this year. Speaking of the lawn, right? Well, speaking, or he of, was. speaking of probably one of the, probably going to be one of the most successful people ever to live. Carl. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you say that? What's it been like? I know he's number one in the country, but just um, having him on the I roster, what's that like? T- I sent to him, but I think this is a, a character of people who tend to do big things in life. Is like it, it, it can be hashed up to accountability, but it's the idea where when you say something to yourself and you believe in something, that's like the first step to greatness. The second step is going through with what you say and believe to yourself. And in everything, and in, and you you can you can see this across like across many very good people. Like uh, I can name a few, but realistically, the idea here is if you say something and you don't go through with it, you're not really like completing, right? I don't think one time in the last three years here I've seen Carl say something and not go through with it, and 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 I'm or even believe in it. And I I can I can I can have multiple witnesses. If you want me to get him up on this, get him up on this and say the same thing. And what's even cooler is not only does he do that, he will hold you accountable to the standard of himself, which is impossible. And when I say impossible, I mean impossible because he does not, does not not fail to do what he sets his mind to. And it's all, well, part of it is coming up to, well, he, he sets realistic goals with unrealistic standards. So it, it creates a good juxtaposition that he has a very, very high standard, but his goals will always be in reach. And over time, when I, I lived with him for a year before he lived on the lawn, and I was like, there's no way this guy is that serious. Oh, gosh darn, it was even worse. I lived right next to him, and if I made a little bit too loud noise when he was sleeping or, or to make the neighbors wake up or some, some BS like that, he would be on everyone immediately. He's like... He's like a dictator to some extent, but a good dictator because he's he doesn't, he doesn't get more than four years at the school. Like he doesn't get to reelect himself. <laughs> I think I, I think I, I've said enough. But 
realistically, I think in my opinion, as as most people who who can prioritize their responsibilities according to their life and then follow through with their responsibilities consistently throughout time tend to be successful. And he does that to probably the best extent I've seen anyone else do it. I think we just found our title for the episode, The Good Dictator. Uh, of course, a nice oxymoron in there as well. Always appreciate that. <laughs> oh, gosh, that The as Good well. Dictator. You're going to put it up and people are going to be like, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll, and then, they'll and then at least gonna, get it. Then you're going to put like a timestamp of where this starts and they're just going to be like, I don't need to. I don't need to click that. I know the whole part. <laughs> No, of course. That's awesome. And, you know, just listening to you, you know, speak so highly of your teammates, I, I think it, it, it's something that all of our fans will appreciate it well. It speaks to, uh, you know, the influence and the importance of college tennis and its role in the larger tennis uh, sphere. And I guess for the for 99% of college tennis or for tennis players who, whether you have pro aspirations or not, would you recommend, if possible, playing college tennis? Is that, is that like as open-ended of a question I could get? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, look, home stretch, I mean, make you sound answer, good. Short answer, yes, 100%, yes. And I think I think the idea is is a lot along the lines of college tennis is an experience, and the only way to play college tennis is to be invested in the college tennis. And if you're going to play college tennis, more than likely you're going to play college tennis and invest yourself in it. Like, there's no way around it. So it, no matter what your level is, it would be an experience. But at the end of the day, if you're if you're set to play pro tennis or if you're to, to, to some extent the reverse where it's like I want to play college tennis, but I'm extremely academically gifted and going to a different school that doesn't allow me to play tennis might be the better decision. Like there's always the open end. There's always the open end for other 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 types of people to get put involved. But, yeah, play college tennis. You'll learn a lot. You'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll learn what playing with the team feels like it, 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 it's it's, it's a much bigger than playing for yourself. It's really cool. Not only that, you will gain relationships, which is ridiculous for if you've ever lived a long life, which you probably will. A relationship will last longer than a tennis career. Yeah. I think that's fair. I, I think there's nothing wrong with stepping on a tennis court to play for someone else. Like, that's really what it is. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. And look, was it a 2-8 GPA question at the end of a 3-9 interview? Yeah, maybe it was, and I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> Come on. But... It's better to ask open-ended questions. What do you ask a closed-end question? Was your day good? Yes. No. That's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, like I said, you have a future in this. So uh, you're learning the mechanics. You're looking every so often. You got to throw in an open ender in there at the end. But uh, you know, I do. You've been so kind with your time. I do want to do one more thing with you before I let you go. That's a rapid fire series of questions for you. Just throw a All bunch right, of them at it. your let's way. Crush it. Say crazy yeah. things. First thing right. that comes <laughs> to my mind. Let me, right. let me pull it up. Here. Let me get a little bit tipsy before this. <laughs> Andreas, I'm sorry if you listen to this again. I, uh, I, no, Andreas, I'm, a, I'm a Virginia Andreas fan. You know, greatest, Andreas is the greatest guy ever. He'll know I'm being sarcastic. He'll know I'm making <laughs> light of a, of a bigger issue. I am 21 for the viewers. Yes. I am above Be- the age. Beautiful, beautiful. I appreciate that. Yes, a certified beer. I'll bring out my cracked racket mug as well, which our listeners can send find me, on our me, website. Uh, send me one of those sleeves. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, we'll do. But all right, Westoff, cue the rapid fire sound effect. 
Uh, let's start here. First question for you. I'm going to go teammate related, and then uh, we'll go to some other ones. But for you, while at Virginia, your favorite teammate to practice with? Spencer Bosick. Just the, the quality of the ball? Quality of friendship. <laughs> I like it. Uh, favorite to go out with? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Uh, <laughs> oh, this hurts. Favorite to go out with. Rapid fire, just say a name. Ethan. Uh, Ethan. Yeah, I like, I like it. Perfect. Uh, most disgusting tennis bag. Will Woodall. <laughs> uh, funniest member of the team. Right now, to me, I really like Spencer's jokes before Ash. <laughs> All right. Well, since you answered Ash, I think this gets into a perfect next question. Cheapest teammate you've ever had? Oh, my gosh. Everyone throws Ash under the bus I'm going to throw question. Ash under the bus because Ash – the thing is, Lord, Matt Lord has been really, really, like, conservative about his money. But I think that's just, like, he, he likes the idea of having money. I, I think Ash <laughs> is actually cheap. I actually think Ash is actually cheap. That's what everyone says. That's the consensus. So we'll have to get him on the pod to get his side of the story. All right, last teammate-related one. The teammate most likely to hook you in practice to get under your skin. <laughs> That's a hard question. I don't think people cheat on my team. Um, me. <laughs> That's a fair answer. We can leave that one there. That works. All right, quarantine edition questions. Let's go. The worst purchase you've made while in quarantine. The worst purchase I made. Um, God, I bought a ton of food. What do I have in here that sucks? Uh, probably like <laughs> two two dozen Oreos or whatever those because I just crushed <laughs> them and they're making me feel terrible about myself. Oh, dude, I I've gone through like I the, the worst part is I bought two bags of Reese's eggs and I know I ate every single one of them. But it's so hard to say no. It's like no I, one gets no one sees you right now. So it's like you could lie to them later. You'd be like, did I have did I have Oreos? No. Yeah, no, I'm work. I'm going on my daily run. I'm doing what I have to do. Yeah, running what once every other week. (laughs) Something like that, exactly. No, I got to keep this face ready for our YouTube channel. So you know, oh yeah, keep the jawline. Got to keep the jawline intact. Um, No, all right. On that topic, how often are you going to the fridge each day? Over under six and a half times. Over under. Let's see. After the eighth time, it's like 11 a.m. I'm joking. Uh, (laughs) uh, I go there. Probably I wake up at like two every day, so just because I want to skip breakfast, so I don't have to eat breakfast and run out of food. Probably like five, honestly. That's probably the best answer. I have an entire yeah. jug of pre-made coffee that I put in the fridge. Pour myself a cup for the morning. Make myself some eggs, and then I don't go in there till I get my milk for my glass of Oreos. And then later in the day, I pull out some steak, and I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, the problem is, even though you're not eating till two, you then will eat at like twelve, you know, at, at midnight. Protein like, shake, yeah, well. baby. Protein shake. Protein, <laughs> easy money. You whip it up. You yeah. put in a you put in a cup of water in the thing. You blend it together. You shake it up. You drink it. You're done. You go to bed. Oh, that sounds like a an NCAA student athlete. That sounds like the lifestyle. This Glad is a quarantine. No, no, it, it's it's quarantine student. I have yet to be an athlete while in this quarantine business. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, all right, your newest quarantine hobby? Chess. I play a lot really? of freaking chess. I love chess, man. It's just ridiculous. I've been watching Magnus Carlsen. Ridiculous. So you study film? 
Yes, and I'm, it's not studying film. It's you, well, at, in the beginning, it was more out of the enjoyment of watching someone just absolutely. There's something called banter blitz on YouTube. He plays a bunch of, let's say, pros, but to him, they're like amateurs, and he just kind of beats them down, and he's in the beast. And then from there, we just had a chess set lying around, and Spencer and I, since I'm living with him, we'll just play games. And then since Spencer has a lot more homework than I do, I <laughs> I was getting good at chess, and then at some point I just passed him, and then it was over. We don't play anymore. <laughs> sounds like you and alex in tennis sounds like a relationship you're uh used to no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah leave that one there uh, no are, are you a guy who will watch tennis on youtube are you a guy who watches film in his spare time i have a lot of opinions but lately i am watching a lot of tennis all right uh, give me some of those give me your hottest tennis prognosticator tennis pundit take say, say it again i didn't hear that one give me your hottest take as a tennis pundit the hottest take. What does that mean? Like, what am I supposed is, to say? Is, is there a player you think, you know, Murray Wawrinka, I think saying Wawrinka had the more successful career could be a hot take. For Best me, my hottest... I've ever watched. Here you go. 2012 Australian Open, Nadal versus Burdich. Really? See, I think same tournament, but Djokovic-Murray semifinal. I'm telling you right now, Burdich-Nadal, 2012, there's a highlight. Oh, my gosh. Let, let's say, I'm going to say this right now. I, I might not know his best match. But I think that's one of the best matches Nadal has ever played. Yeah, it just lights out. And well, what happens is you Burdish comes out there. He plays the best tennis I've ever seen anyone at his height with him smacking the ball. He takes the first set from Nadal, goes up a break, whatever. He goes six all in the second set. Should have won the second set on a volley on top of the net. So he should be up two sets to love Nadal, playing lights out with Nadal in more or less a part of his prime. And then Nadal gets a little bit mad about a call and then plays ridiculous from the second set on to like the third to the fourth or something like that. It's, 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 it's a sick match. I recommend watch at least the highlights because you get to watch every good point, which is more or less the whole match. <laughs> no, I mean, that, I think everyone's doing that right now is going back in time and watching matches. We just did a work a plug in here, a CR Classics episode on 01 Agassi Rafter at Wimbledon. And, you know, just to watch tennis in 2001. 01 Agassi Rafter, Rafter serving volume while Agassi's just like counterpunch line, counterpunch passing shot. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, like again, not, not this is not to be disrespectful to Patrick Rafter, and yes, if he played in modern day with modern training, yada 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 yada, all of that can be said. But his backhand slice, like I have seen college tennis, all of you guys at the highest level would just be like, really, I'm going to get to hit a passing shot off of this slice, and you'd just be ripping passes. All right, I'm going to wait. Which there was a podcast you talked about this with someone. I am going to. Say exactly with whoever. I, I think it was the Anacone podcast. It um, was, yeah. And I think it was the Anacone. It was about. I think his answer was as good as it gets. And I want to plug that answer for my answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Look, that's called citing your sources, and I will take I'm, it. So, I'm using. He said what? He said if you were just a certain volleyer and now days and age, you're going to get crushed. But if you were to have a well-rounded game and then be an exceptional certain volleyer which more or less I think Patrick Raptor probably would have gotten to that point if he was now, which is I think he was implying when he was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to be a freaking good player because what he said was no returners aren't looking to return to certain volleyers. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I have never had one of my podcasts used in an MLA citation, so I'll take it. Yeah, uh, me, it feels me, like a big before, before I get uh, whatever, before I get plagiarism or however that works because I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had to run into that issue. I'm going to go into the document and get the MLA out. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. We also accept Chicago style. Uh, really? So, you know, it's a win-win here. Yeah, you know, as a history major, I'm used to doing both. Um, so, so you know, that's that's fair. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. What else do I have for you? You said, uh, I think earlier, maybe it was in a different podcast, something I was listening to in an interview beforehand, that so much of tennis is about who you model your game after. At this point in your career, who are you modeling your game David after? Come on. Come on. I'm 21 years old. You don't think I've been looking at the same guy who plays identical to me since I was 16? Okay, well, that's that's not fair. Everyone has gone through their Agassi phase. Everyone has gone through their Murat Safin phase. Everyone has gone through these certain phases where you're just like, this is going to be the best. I look so good on television if I play like this. Yeah, that's fair. Are you also chain-smoking cigs like he did? Um, no. God, I'm not that good yet. (laughs) <laughs> he was just trying also, to give everyone else a chance. I, I, I've been saying this for my whole life. The reason he was changed smoking cigs is because if he didn't, he would be the best player in the world. <laughs> I've also heard that that's false. That, like, yes, he may have enjoyed the occasional cigarette, so, but to say he— So what I've heard from my from my banker rumors to your banker rumors, <laughs> we might be able to find parallels, like is that he wouldn't smoke during tournaments, but he would smoke mm-hmm. <laughs> in between, like a college kid who's— Who's parties on weekends, basically. Yeah, who's bumming cigs when he's a little drunk. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I think yeah. that's the same thing. I think that's what it was. But I also heard some crazy things, like he'd smoke packs a day and then run it run it off by running eight miles a day. Uh, yeah, again, some of, the, some of the stories are just half the fun. Um, no, I will say, I'll, I'll drop a tease here, and I think it'll come out before this one, but we just talked to uh, Thomas Robredo, and I, like, I wanted to ask him so badly. I wanted to be like, be Why honest, didn't you? Does... Come on, man. You've got, so you've here's got to, why I did. You've got to lighten up with a lesser question, like, does David Ferrer, how he's off the court? Like, I know he's on the court beast, but what is he like around other people? Is he that aggressive? And then you get to the idea, and then you get in there, and then you go, yeah, but I heard he likes to smoke cigs. That <laughs> so so I agree with you, and I had this whole sequence of questions set up. I started with because I used to play Top Spin, the video game, oh, and he is sick. a prominent. Yeah, he's a prominent character in Top Spin, Robredo. So I was like, so how's it like being your own video game player? You know, to warm him up, get him loose, and just. I don't want to talk trash about him. By the way, I'm a big fan of yours still, Tommy Robredo. But let's just say he wasn't – he didn't find the humor in that question. It was – he thought it was a serious question, and it wasn't. And then I asked him about his Spanish generation, and again, it was a serious – great answer. You should all go listen to the pod, but a uh, serious answer, and he's just kind of like, eh. And then I was like, I just the, – the, we weren't vibing to the point where I felt like I could ask him about another player's cigarette habits. So I was like, I think I'm going to have to leave this one on the cover. What you got to do is you got to ask him about his cigarette habits. <laughs> Because <laughs> then when he asks it seriously, you're like, no, 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 I, I meant to say David Ferrer. Sorry. I didn't <laughs> and then he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that would have been a good one. No, that that's fair. Uh, that's on me. Again, that was if I give that pot a rating, that was at best a B plus. Um, <laughs> at best. Uh, but there are a couple of interviews. We all have those where it's like I would if I could get that one back, and I have two in mind in particular. That's one of them. Uh, It'll come up before this. How would would you interview Kyrgios? Because that's like, in my opinion, that's just like tug of war. That's a good question. A very good question. So here's the thing. Him and I are both born in 95. So I feel like I have that going for me from the get-go. It's like, hey, I'm your age. We both grew up watching Drake and Josh, not iCarly. We both grew up, you know, doing all – it was Dragon Ball Z, not the crazy stuff. How how do you break the ice so he knows that you're a cool interviewer? That's the tough Uh... one. You go, do you go basketball route, or do you just downplay no, tennis a little I, pr- I probably what go, so Nick, when you called the line judge Mr. Potato Head, was that a reference to Toy Story 1, or 2, 
one, two, or three? And then he'll be like, it's a good question, Alex. <laughs> It'd be really tough. I think, I, think he, I think he just hates interviewers. Like, for you to, like, find a way to, like, separate yourself from the rest would probably crush your career. I'm <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be like, so... Ugh, I'm going to get in trouble. Whatever. I'll be like, so when Kokonakis, you know, when you said Kokonakis banged your girl, um, <laughs> what, you know... Just cut this. Just cut it off a little bit. Let's just do the outro now, and then we'll have a conversation about the rest. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to get in too. Or I mean, our the real truth is, I'd be like, so your charity, the NK Foundation, does so much good work, and I would start there. A hundred percent. That's actually genius. Get him talking about something that he likes. Yeah, like, and then and like, then we'll get to the stuff he doesn't. You like. gotta honeypot him. You gotta. You know, have you seen uh, the interview, the movie? Yeah. <laughs> Honey, you gotta you gotta bring in like a really good looking girl he likes as like a side interviewer. <laughs> then, yeah, because then because yeah. then, then it changes. Then it's like a whole like. Then you just have like an advantage over him. You're like, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. No, the problem is then uh, uh, again I'm gonna get, but I'll get distracted, and you know that's that's part of the issue as well. Uh, I mean, this so is all, you know, this is all sarcasm. Like this is just like a hypothetical. Yeah. Like if you're trying to. <laughs> interview a person that you might never interview like this isn't never yeah. gonna happen you know so might... i remember again i'll give you a tale from the locker room and then we really got to wrap this bad boy okay, up. yeah sorry. Cannot... yeah no, no 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 you never have to apologize it's it's on me i see super producer daniel westoff being like an hour and a half again uh but that speaks to how great of an interview you have been seriously uh this has been a blast but i was in the room in cincinnati for uh you know the, for the tournament for the masters event and i was in the press room and i was asking questions and so i got fetter with a really good question and we don't i'm not i don't have to rehash the question but then it was at the end and they were like does anyone have any follow-ups and i was like you know what i asked my really good question now i'm gonna ask my goofy one and i was like so uh you know i, I think looking back one of the things people appreciate most about your career is that you had all of this success and you did it all with a ponytail uh you know <laughs> what it goes down in the decision behind rocking a ponytail on court and why'd you cut it off and like you could tell he sort of smiled a little bit but he's also like really like this is what you're gonna ask me about and it's about treading that fine line <laughs> yeah yeah, I had, an interview, I had an interview with Fed one time. I rushed up to him, and I quickly asked him on camera, what are the Saturdays for, Fedder? And he looked at me, and he didn't say anything. <laughs> but he knew. He smirked a little. He's like, if I say what I say, this is going everywhere, so I'm just going to look at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the problem, too, is they're always all so censored. It's oh, like they're, they so, know. they're so media trained. They are extremely media trained. They know exactly what not to say, and they don't mm-hmm. – like, it's just ridiculous. That's the key is knowing what not to say. Yeah, but knowing that's also exactly. not the key. That's yeah, not, no, exactly. Like, how far are you going to go from holding back? Like, come on, your personality. But I'm not big enough. I'm not a big enough character to get to where it's like <laughs> if I said something dumb, which I probably have at some point in my life on camera, I'm going to get blown up and torn apart by the media. But who's who's going to say that they're going to – how many people are going to watch my interview on Cracked Rackets? <laughs> you're gonna you're, you're you're gonna have to rewatch it to bleep all the stuff, which kind of sucks. But me, am I gonna rewatch myself? Probably not. I'm probably gonna be like, hey, look, I was on cracked rackets at like a at like a dinner party in a week from now when when quarantine's <laughs> over, and I'm be like, yeah, it was a great interview. I love Alex. He's a hilarious guy. But do you think they're gonna go and watch it? No, they're gonna be like, oh, I, I thought I saw that on a Facebook link somewhere. 
No, no, exactly. On your Twitter, it's going to be five Cookie Monster tweets and then a retweet of the Crack Racket site, and that's it. <laughs> I haven't been on Twitter in so long, and that's, that's so funny because I was just talking about that with my trainer, like a girl, and she's like, I love Cookie Monster. Like, Look at all these tweets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, no. Uh, to be honest, again, a look behind the glass. I, I can't listen to my own voice anymore. It's just two pitches, two octaves higher than I would like it to be. Two and, Oh, I would love to be a low bass. If I could be like News Radio 950, WWJ. This you is just throw throw your voice in a in a voice. This is up my alley. I love I love. Okay, I'm not going to get to this part of my life, but no, I could do, do it. it for you. Please, I make Please. A, I make a lot. I I have a weird. Uh, I love music. Like I freaking love music. In our last two years, I've kind of gone down a huge rabbit hole of kind of learning everything about it. I have a program called Ableton Live. I've made over a hundred songs. I just do it for fun. But I don't post it anywhere, so <laughs> I know I know exactly how to handle all that stuff. <laughs> so the question is, do you feel comfortable sending us a song? <clears throat> Excuse I mean, me, do you feel comfortable sending us a song for us to use as the intro-outro? I don't want to plug no, no, no. myself. intro-outro of this podcast. Just oh, this podcast um, specifically. What kind of song you want? That's up to you. I, I always keep no, no, creative. No, no, no. Uh, you're, you're, we're, um, we're switching roles. I am, I am now oh. catering to your services. Oh, that's true. Um, well, if they're all free, it doesn't matter to me. But It's a good question. I would say, whoa, I'm trying to think of what genre I imagine you doing. I could see some bluegrass thrown in with a little R&B, a little so, bit of hip-hop. So I'm, some, a, I'm a huge fan of, like, I like EDM. Like, I just like... Oh, it's perfect. Pretty, I, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to make. I actually just sent a few... I actually sent a song to a few labels, and I'm, I'm actually mm-hmm. in contact. I'm just... I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the, 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 I can make anything. I think I've remade a million songs now that I thought were like sound pretty close. So I can I can remake another song for you to use as copyright free. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't mind it. I like it. It's, it's a it's a stupid hobby that I've built up and probably too many long nights learning about it. It's an addiction, man. Never never get into music. It just corrupts you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I got into podcasting instead, and it it's very similar. Uh, you know, it's all you do is have these conversations. But yeah, you know, unless I, uh, uh, I guess the way this free this tangent started is, I am like, you know, cha- a chain smoking David Ferrer habit away from getting my voice to the alto pitch I want it to be at, to where I can start listening to these podcasts That's again. That's sick. Well, yeah. Thank you for calling. I don't know how much more. T- I don't want to keep ruining your day by. No, please. Up. First of all, again, uh, I was going to say these are always a pleasure for me just to get to have these conversations at this point because we're all so trapped in our house and uh, our houses. It, it's a pleasure for me to get to explore, uh, you know, with different personalities throughout the tennis world. And I, I'm serious when I say that this was a blast. And you, I don't know what you plan on doing uh, in terms of with the music and with the tennis media and just with tennis in general. But there is always a spot for you on this podcast. Gianni, that was such a blast. So don't be a stranger and stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for taking the time to chat. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Alex. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Always got to end with a little flattery, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. For sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so, again, thank you. Take care. Stay safe and stay healthy. Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with the University of Virginia's Gianni Ross. And just a little insight for you listeners. I'm recording this outro about a week 
after I recorded the podcast with Gianni, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that interview because it was such a blast. Clearly, Gianni is a guy who has a mind that can work, and it was so fun just getting to chat with him for as long as we did, and obviously we wish him safety and health and thank him again for taking the time to come on the podcast because that really was a blast. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed all of the college tennis content we are doing here at Cracked Rackets. If you have missed any of the conversations we have had, I will point you to these ones in particular. We've talked to Brianna Schwetz of Princeton. Her Tigers were off to a fantastic season. We've talked to Elliot Spaziri of Texas. This podcast, Mastakoiak, Chris Haliores, and I put a bow on the 2020 Division I men's college tennis season, talking about the All-Americans, talking about our top five teams, naming our ideal lineups on the Great Shot podcast. And then on the Mini Break podcast, I had a candid conversation conversation with ITA CEO Tim Russell about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on college tennis and college tennis's future moving forward. I think all of you will enjoy those podcasts, so please be sure to go check them out. Like, rate, subscribe, review all of those podcasts. Please share them with your friends. Any insight you guys want to share with us, any thoughts, comments, criticisms, we'd love to hear them. Even the criticisms, even if it's like, Alex, what can you do to get your voice an octave lower? I will work on it. I don't know what I can do, but I'm down to try some things because because we're in quarantine and we're all a little bit, you know, we're all looking for new, I suppose, hobbies to pick up, as I like to ask these players. So I suppose deepening my voice could be a hobby for me. But anyways, uh, if you've missed any of our other content on our YouTube channel, Overserved, I promise if you enjoyed this conversation, you will enjoy Overserved. We like to poke fun at the tennis world. There's a lot of funny things that happen. You will all enjoy that content. You'll enjoy CR Classics as well and all of the stuff. Super producer Daniel Westoff is up to on our YouTube channels. And speaking of the super producers, shout out to Westoff and Max Fligner for the constant work they have to do. They have a of an editing job as always. And again, I, I get to have all these fun conversations, but none of it comes to life without their behind the scenes efforts. So shout out to the two of them. But that'll do it for today's Cracked Interviews podcast. Again, be sure to go like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Mini Break podcast, the Great Shot podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at Cracked Rackets. You want to DM me in particular. It's at Great Shot Pod. Shout out again to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. Get 15% off all of your orders. But with that being said, for our friends at Midwest Sports, for my wonderful guest today, Gianni Ross, our super producers Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. That's another episode of the Cracked Interviews. Folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.